Welcome to the Horror Filmmaking Academy. Learn how to make a killer movie by avoiding the pitfalls of indie horror filmmaking. And now for your host, Rubel Raphael Ahmed. Hello and welcome to the Horror Filmmaking Academy. Today I'm talking to Preston DeFrancis and Trista Bisset. Uh, they're the writer-director team behind the new feature film Ruin Me. Um, which is doing really well in the festival circuit and will be getting distribution very soon. So look out for that. Before we get to it, a bit of housekeeping. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Just type in Super Rubes. That's Super, S-U-P-A, Rubes, R-U-B-E-S. And usually I'm there um, posting horror news and articles I found online, uh, maybe talking a little bit about what I'm up to and also maybe what guests I've got on the show. Um, you can use those platforms to send me questions you want answered by the guests or recommend me a movie and I'll be putting that at the end of the show. If you'd prefer, you can email me. I'm superrubes at gmail.com and you can also go to YouTube and just type in superrubes and you can see the stuff I've been working on, some of the short horror films and things like that. I'll be sure to put all that stuff in the show notes, so check that out. If you find this episode valuable, please uh, rate and review it on iTunes and if you feel extra generous, um, share it across your social media platforms. Things like this really help spread the word and allow me to get some awesome guests for you guys. Make sure you stay tuned till the end of the show. Um, I'll be recommending you a couple of movies. So without further ado, let's go straight into the main interview. So I'd like to welcome to the show Preston De Francis and Trista Bissett. Thanks for coming on, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks Thank for you. having us. No worries. Um, so obviously, I want to talk about um, your new film, Ruin Me. Uh, but before we get to that, I was just hoping you can give us a bit of a history on your background and how you got into filmmaking. Um, I mean, whoever wants to start can do that first. Sure. So uh, I am originally from Wheeling, West Virginia, which for those in the UK, that's a really small town in a, a small state here in, in the U.S., and it's, it's an area of the country where there aren't a lot of um, art opportunities for a would-be filmmaker. So I, I grew up uh, loving movies and television and specifically genre entertainment, but I, I never felt like I could um, actually do that for a living. Uh, so I went to uh, uh, undergrad for engineering, but I, I studied in a bigger city uh, here in the States called Cleveland uh, in Ohio. And I was encouraged to, for the first time, uh, that I actually could do that. And so I went on to film school at uh, University of Southern California out here in Los Angeles, which is where I met Trista. And I'll, Trista, please say how you got there, I guess. Uh, so I am from Cincinnati, Ohio, which is a bigger town than Preston is from, mm-hmm. but uh, it's still um, Midwest, lots of farms, um, and I always wanted to be a writer, uh, and I went to Ohio University, and my undergrad degree originally was in English because I wanted to write the great American novel, and I was in this very exclusive program there where you had um, one-on-one sessions with a professor and I was like oh this is great like I'm gonna write my novel it's gonna be so cool and after like a series of these sessions not going well my professor said to me 
you have to change your major. So, so I was kicked out of the program um, and I had to find something else. And the only thing that was still open in the middle of the semester was the telecommunications program, which I didn't even know what the heck it was. But I was like, well, I, I guess this is what I'm going to be doing. Um, and so once I was in that program, I figured out I could do video production and start taking screenwriting classes. Uh, so then I decided I was going to make the great American film instead of the great American novel. Um, and then I went to um, grad school for screenwriting at USC, where I'm at Preston. Mm -hmm. We were the only losers uh, who were living in the grad student housing. Um, and we lived right across the hall from each other. I was in 308, and Trista was in 307. And uh, I was uh, uh, working on writing and directing short films at the time. Uh, and I realized that my I, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on working with actors because I had a little bit of a background in theater and uh, I, I was uh, good working with the camera and technically uh, doing things like the sound design and stuff like that. Um, but I really wanted to get better and I, I saw that I wasn't quite great at doing the, the writing part yet. And so uh, I, uh, Trista and I were just friends and then uh, I said, hey, what would you think about you know working on some stuff together? And we ended up co-writing my, uh, pieces film together uh and we've been writing partners ever since awesome uh it, it seems like you found the right fit there um right director um, so um maybe you can tell us a little bit about i mean i think you just mentioned there that you did a few short films and things like that i mean did they help you uh get ready for a feature uh absolutely yes yes and no um i can't imagine what it would be like diving in to directing a feature without having directed uh, short films first. Um, I, you know, when you're in film school, that it's it's sort of your job to make as many things as you can, and you're making, you know, your for for your different classes. Sometimes you're doing like you're doing an all dialogue scene that uh, was from a previously written piece of material from a movie that already exists or a play that already exists. Uh, sometimes you're doing, uh, you're making a short film that's all about the cinematography and you're exploring different, uh, you know, uh, lighting techniques with it. Um, and, and, and then when you, you know, when you go to make your thesis film, then you're supposed to, you know, synthesize all those things and bring them all together. And just going through that that process where you're taking a project literally from soup to nuts, even though it's only a short film and it's only, you know, 15 minutes long, um, just going through that, that entire experience of everything from, okay, I have to choose the right title for this, all the way to, okay, now I have to do the best DVD authoring and DVD artwork and... Uh, make sure that when we do the streaming release online, it's the highest quality streaming release. Just curating a project from soup to nuts, doing that before doing it on the feature level absolutely was necessary. Um, but then, you know, a feature is so much bigger that it doesn't completely prepare you, but that's good. That It's good that it doesn't completely prepare you because that's what keeps it interesting. Yeah, And also I want to add that... Um, 
we're sort of an unusual situation where we made this short film like a long time ago. There was a huge gap in between making the short and then doing the feature. That was going to be my next question. What happened in that gap? <laughs> yeah, so we, it, it, our first uh, foray into working in the industry, we were trying to make, we, we had both been genre fans, but we were trying to do uh, comedy specifically romantic comedy and our the the film that we my thesis film uh called the big production is essentially a high concept romantic comedy it is available uh on amazon uh streaming for free across the world if you're interested it's not a horror film but it is it is out there uh and then we started writing these big hollywood style comedies um uh, and we we had some successes with that, like some little things, and, and we were really encouraged, and then like these projects would just always fall apart, like we couldn't ever actually get anything made, um, and we... And meanwhile, by the way, we're both working day jobs, which are, you know, in the industry, but not in, not in any sort of high level. I, I was an assistant at HBO, and Trista. And I worked for a company called uh, SSS Entertainment. I did a lot of reality TV stuff and um, then started working on features with that company, um, producing and editing. Um, but we were, we were trying to get these big budget romantic comedies made, and it's impossible to get anyone to take it seriously unless you already have big name talent attached to it. And for unknown writers, it's it's just so hard. Um, and so we were like, how in the world are we ever going to get anything made? I think we're just going to have to do this thing ourselves. Uh, and so we had always wanted to do something in horror, but we, we were like, you know, if we're going to do this, it's going to be an idea that we really love. We're not just going to do something that's really derivative that everyone's seen a billion times. Um, and we started going to these extreme haunt events, uh, and that's how we, we got the idea for this one. We said, you know what, this is something we can actually do. It's like, it's manageable. Um, we can make it look good on a small budget, so let's do this thing. Cool. Um, so let's talk about uh, Ruin Me for a little bit. Um, maybe you can start by giving us a picture or logline for the movie. Uh, sure. Uh, so you may be familiar with some of the extreme haunts that um, are becoming really popular now. Yeah. Uh, and there's also some documentaries out there about them, like Haunters, The Art of the Scare, takes you into Blackout, uh, takes you into McCamey Manor, uh, which, which are these really intense haunted experiences that people go through. Uh, and so Trista and I had done a couple of these. Uh, and we were inspired to create our own fictional extreme haunt called Slasher Sleepout, in which six people uh, are taken out into the middle of the woods, for, uh, and their cell phones are taken away, and they basically are signing up for 36 hours to live out uh, a Friday the 13th movie, essentially. Uh, but while they're out there... Um, something goes horribly wrong. And it seems like this something that goes wrong might be centered around our protagonist, or uh, our final girl, Alexandra, who uh, has um, 
uh, come along on this trip, not because she's a horror fan, but sort of uh, to placate her boyfriend, who is a big horror fan. Uh, and so she's sort of a fish out of water at this uh, extreme haunted event. And then when things start to go wrong, it seems like maybe it's centered around her uh, for some reason that we will not go into. <laughs> Sounds really cool. I mean, I saw the trailer. It looks awesome. So I look forward to it. Um, Thank you. So how long um, did it take to write the movie? And maybe you can uh, tell us, I mean, how much time you spent outlining if you did that and how long it took actually opening up final draft and getting the script down. Uh, so from the time that we um, had the first idea, which was when we went to a, a media event for the Great Horror Camp Out, that's when we, we started thinking about this. Um, from that time until the time that we started filming was about two years. Um, and I really don't remember how much of that time was outlining, but just as an aside, I hate outlining. <laughs> <laughs> All, even though Tristan doesn't like it, I make her do it a lot because yeah. it, it does it does really help uh, to have a plan that we know will change as we're scripting. But um, yes, we absolutely did spend a bunch of time on the outline. Um, one of the things about us and our, and our voice as screenwriters is we... Um, propulsive narrative is uh, something that's really important to us. Um, we would not, and, and narratives that are entertaining in uh, a smart and sophisticated way, we, we would not want one of our movies to be a super slow burn or um, just based around atmosphere or, or something like that. Have, having uh, uh, propulsive narratives where that are driven by mystery and twists and turns are that's really important to us. And so, spending a lot of time on the outline and then spending a lot of time on the script is super, super important to our our voice as storytellers. And we use a method that we learned at USC called the eight sequences. Um, so it breaks down the three acts um, into these eight sequences. And um, whenever we're doing an outline, we go sequence by sequence, decide how that one's going to start, how it's going to finish, how it leads into the next one. Um, and we put a lot of emphasis on uh, the midpoint plot turn. Um, and Ruin Me uh, has a, a hard reset right in the middle of the film. Um, so when you see it, uh, you'll see what we're talking about. Um, but it was really important to us to make a film that kind of pushes the boundaries a little bit structurally and challenges the viewer. Um, and some people like that about it and some people don't like it. Um, but it is exactly the movie that we intended to make and we're very happy with the results. Hmm? I'm really happy you said that. I mean, um, I've been doing a bit of research. I'm writing my first feature script at the moment on spec. And I was doing a lot of research and I came across the uh, Blake Snyder beat sheet. And since then, like nearly every film I watch, I, I kind of notice the beats as it's happening. And it's kind yeah. of in a funny way a little bit for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel I feel like that that it does take the fun away at first, but then like you'll you'll once you get through that, it'll actually make it more fun because once you, once once it takes it away, then. It, then you'll start to like get excited about it and you'll be like, Oh, there's the end of the first act. And yeah. Oh, there's the midpoint plot. Or when you, when you're watching a movie and you're like, ah, 
this is such a drag. Why is it such a drag? And you'll be like, well, it's because it's an hour into it and the first act hasn't ended yet, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, so for me, for me anyway, it, no, there is, there is sort of that, that, that morning after of like realizing the man behind the curtain a little bit, but then, then it becomes even more fun once you push through that for me. And also, um, knowing how stories are put together, um, it gives you a greater appreciation for things when it's done well. Yeah. Um, for instance, for our, our new script that we're working on, we have uh, watched and broken down um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo uh, several times. And like each time I go through it, I'm like, oh my God, like this is so complex. Like how did they even figure this out? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that we're really in awe of is Gone Baby Gone. Yeah. Um, they're just so well done. Is that mm-hmm. the one with um, Casey Affleck? Yes. Oh, yeah, yes. That's a really good movie. I love it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so once you've written the script and you're like, okay, this is the film we're going to go ahead with, we're happy with the script, etc. Um, did you go around maybe um, trying to get some uh, investors on board, producers, or did you do some crowdfunding? Or how did you um, start uh, building the budget for the movie? Yeah, so we really did not want to do crowdfunding for this movie. Um, Trista had had some experiences running crowdfunding campaigns for other movies she had worked on. It is a nightmare. And yeah, it's, it's, it's so much work. <laughs> it's a lot of work and a lot of, you know, going to your friends and family with hat in hand and asking them to, you know, give you 25 bucks, give you 30 bucks or whatever. Uh, and we also know that you know our our immediate circle are not a particularly uh, wealthy group of people, uh, and so we felt that there was a maximum that we could get from that that would not be worth all of the effort that it would take to to run the campaign. So uh, uh, you know, working in the industry for a number of years, we had built up a number of connections. Um, not a not a ton, but you know, we had some doors to knock on, and we knocked on all of those doors of production companies, of you know, independent producers, and every one of them told us no. Uh, so then we were like, okay, so what? How how are we going to do this? So we we decided to form an LLC, and we went to private investors ourselves to raise the. To raise a very small budget, but um, uh, you know, uh, not so small that you know any one person could finance it themselves or anything like that, but small enough that we felt that we could raise it through individual investors. Okay, and something I'm just a bit curious about. I mean, I'm going a bit off track with what I wanted to ask, but it's really interesting for me. Um, with the private investors, I mean, how did you get those meetings uh, in place? Was it just cold inquiries or something else? Uh, so, uh, our LLC, uh, are five, it's five people, uh, myself and Trista, uh, and our other three partners, uh, David Hendelman, Aaron Galligan Sterl, and, uh, Rebecca Stone. And the five of us used our personal networks and connections, uh, which I, I can't imagine a cold call in this sort of situation <laughs> no. being successful, you know? So we had to use our own personal resources and, it was because the fi- it, it was a total team effort for the five of us, and it was you know knowing it, it, after working in the in the in this industry and in the industries that we each have worked in, um, and knowing and and knowing who to call and 
not not have not ever having knocked on those particular doors before, but um, knowing that now is the time and putting ourselves out there with those with those people. Um, and uh, we it wasn't just um, you know calling and talking to these people and like not having anything to show them. We had a very uh, involved business plan that we worked on for a long time. Um, we also had samples of things that Preston had directed in the past, and we already had the script. So if anybody wanted to read it, it was ready to go. Oh, cool. And just to talk a bit about what you just said there with the business plan, uh, maybe you can give us a rough idea of what kind of things go in a business plan when you're pitching to investors. Um, so the business plan um, was composed of bios of everyone um, who was on the, the crew uh, that we already had in place. Um, and, you know, that's to show that these people actually have legit credits. They know what they're doing. Um, we had a budget breakdown um, so that they could see exactly where the money was going. Uh, we had locations that we had already scouted, um, and we had pictures of those and explained, like, um, how this was going to be the most cost-effective way to do everything. We had, um, some projections, um, which were from movies of similar budgets, um, and, uh, similar genre. And also the terms that the investors would get, and we were incredibly favorable to our investors in our terms in that we we um, uh, made sure that we had no, we were not going to do any deferments. So a lot of independent films, the way that they get done is they will defer people's salary until profit comes in. And so it, when you do that, that means that the first dollar that the film makes, you actually owe that to somebody who has worked for you for free. So part of our company philosophy was that we are going to pay everyone who works on the film uh, up front, um, and it's not going to be a big salary, but we are going to we are going to pay them something, um, and uh, so that we will not owe anything when once we start making money. So basically, the first dollar that we make goes towards paying back the investors, and we as the filmmakers actually will not make any money until the investors make all of their money back. And and the, the combination of those two things, no deferments, and the filmmakers willing being willing to forego making any profit until the investors make all their money back is is somewhat rare in this space. But we really wanted to, to be as favorable as possible to the investors and also to say we believe in this so strongly that we are willing to, you know, we're we're going the extra mile to make sure we have no deferments and also to forego us making any money um, uh, until you guys make back what you invested in us. And like you also have to you have to be very upfront with them. Also, that like nothing is a slam dunk. Uh, you know, even though people say that horror films are a lot of times the the most profitable with the the small budgets, like you can make so much money back. You just don't know. Like anything could happen um, that could derail that. So you have to have people who are willing to take that chance and know upfront that it's possible that they are not going to get all of their money back in the end. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, it's really good to know. I mean, I don't think a lot of people like uh, discussing business plans and things like that. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, 
So talking a bit about production, I mean, how long was uh, the production of the movie and how big was your crew? Uh, we shot for 15 days. Uh, our crew was pretty small. It varied in size depending upon the day. Uh, our biggest day we probably had, between cast and crew, probably 45 people around, I would say, on our biggest. A more average day would be more like 30 people, um, cast and crew combined. Um, we shot almost entirely uh, on location. Um we didn't build any sets or anything like that. Uh, it was mostly uh, exteriors, both daytime and night, to really get that feeling of woods um, uh, and wilderness like you get in those early Friday the 13th films. Um, we were really fortunate that weather did not uh, uh, impact us negatively very much at all. We had one morning of rain, and we were able to uh, pitch our tents in, uh, in in an indoor location and shoot some interior tent stuff inside and as opposed to outside. And that was the only uh, really tough part of weather. We were incredibly fortunate for that. Um, we did uh, have one pickup day several months later. Um, I, a, a, as a director, I really like to save some money in the budget to allow us to do uh, pickups, um, or uh, also known as additional photography, uh, because sometimes you know, you know, you do your best to plan out everything that you're going to need. Sometimes you don't plan well and maybe miss something, or sometimes once you're editing, something becomes so clear that you that you need that will just elevate the storytelling and the experience for the audience. Uh, so we were fortunate that we did protect to have an extra day of shooting that we actually shot um, not we shot most of the film in Mich in Western Michigan. We did our day of additional photography in San Francisco and just had to be really careful with how we planned that photography to to uh, make it completely transparent that you would never be able to guess which shots were not shot in Michigan. Oh, cool. And um, just a curious thing. Uh, what camera did you use for the film? We shot on two Canon C100s. Uh, was there any reason for that? I mean, was it because of the exterior night shots? Uh, so our uh, DP, Jesse Eisenhart, and his friend and camera operator, uh, Ben London, uh, they both owned that camera. Uh, and so they were really familiar with it uh, and, and felt like with how fast we would have to move, uh, shooting a feature that needed a lot of coverage uh, in only 15 days, they felt that that would be the lightest, uh, most robust, uh, most robust option. Um, so we did. So it was shot at 1080p instead of 4K. Uh, but to be honest, you know, like the resolution was never a problem. There was even one shot that in post that we had to zoom in fairly tight uh on it you know and we were all worried that you would start to see grain and it would break up but we've seen the film now on some gigantic screens and it it just it doesn't uh, which is partly due to having an awesome colorist to finish it and know that you know to do what he needs to do to make that work but yeah it's it's not about the resolution it's about the glass you put in front of that sensor and how you light it and that that was all our, our awesome DP, Jesse. Awesome. And about post-production, I mean, how was the process for that? I mean, I know, Trista, you edited the film. Um, was that a, quite an experience? Uh, it was 
quite an experience. Um, I also did um, the the DIT on set, so I was the one who was downloading all of the cards and checking everything uh, while we were there. Um, and then uh, I was my own assistant editor and uh, did all the the sound syncing and stuff, and that wow. took a <laughs> with Many having hats. the two cameras. Yeah, um, and. Uh, I had never edited a feature before. I had been assistant editor on two features before this. So like I knew the process and I knew what I was dealing with. Um, but I mean, it's hard, man. There's a lot of stuff in there and you have to go through it all like frame by frame. Um, it took us a while to, um, get to picture lock. I think we started really editing in like, November of 2015, and then we had picture lock in like June of 2016. Yeah, I think. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and just you know, so that we could, one of the things, another philosophy of our company was that we wanted to try to remove all of the external pressures um, that are not about making the best artistic product possible. Uh, pressures like oh, we have to get this done to meet a certain festival deadline, or we have to get this out right away to make our investors our money back, or, you know, we can't, you know, we can't sit around and, and you know, we can't take months on the editor. We have to, we have to pump this out right away. We wanted to remove all of those pressures. And one of the ways that we were able to do that is that once we were in the picture editing phase, it, uh, it again, was sort of like the writing phase where it's only for the most part, Trista and myself working on it and we're not renting a post facility. It we're not, you know, spending money uh, on anything really so that we were able to just take our time and focus on the creative uh, aspects of it. Uh, and just, you know, anytime we were feeling like, Oh, we want to be done. We want to be done. It was like, no, like we just we don't want to just finish it to finish it. We want to make sure it is at the absolute best level possible. So we spent a lot of time doing test screenings. Uh, a thing that it takes a deceptively long time when you're editing is temp music, especially mm -hmm. for a horror film. To understand what's working, you need temp music. And, uh, you know, we had to pull, we had, we had to spend so much time listening to cues from other things because to find the thing that is the right tone that matches, that you can edit it to, to play, enhance your scene takes a long time, but you just don't know what's working if you don't have that. Um, and so we just, we just wanted to take our time and do everything right, everything within our power to make it as good a sharp a storytelling experience for the audience as possible cool awesome um so i know um you've been uh, touring a few festivals with the film you're coming up to your last one right um mm -hmm. so how did you select the festivals you wanted to enter um how did we do that we uh we wanted to well first we did um you know, the round uh, where you you do all your top choices, like the Sundances, the South By, um, and 
you know, you, you hope for the best, um, but it usually doesn't work out. Um, and so then we, we had the top uh, genre festivals were the next ones that we went to. Uh, so, yeah, so, so uh, you know, you, you, the life-changing sort of festivals are the Sundance, the Southwest, Southwest, Tribeca, and luckily all of those are sort of earlier in the year, and that was around the time when we were finished, we sent a, an almost finished cut to those festivals. And um, as with the majority of filmmakers, especially if you don't have a connection or a named talent in your film, those didn't those didn't uh, work out for us, but we weren't, we weren't too discouraged because we knew that the bread and butter for the film would really be at the genre festival. So then we said, okay, what are the top five, top 10 genre festivals? Uh, and uh, that, that was sort of our next round. But it, it, at that point, we really didn't know if you know, we, we would get into those, any of those top genre festivals. And then we would have had to kind of step back and do a second round. So you know, that process could have taken us even lo longer than it did, but we were really fortunate that one of the best festivals in the world, which happens to be there in London, Fright Fest, um, Paul, that run by Paul and Allen, that we submitted the film to them, and we, we did not know them before um, submitting the film. We did not really have any personal connection whatsoever, and we sent it off to them and hoped for the best, and they uh, really responded to the film and uh, offered us our world premiere there. And so then, so then it, once we had our really good world premiere in place, it was sort of like, okay, now we want to just hit as many of these great genre festivals as we can. And just we, we did a lot of study and research and talking to other people about which festivals were, were good to go to. Uh, and we made our huge list and... We submitted to them, to as many of them as we could. We also uh, submitted to some festivals that maybe weren't genre festivals, but ones that we had um, a personal connection to either because like, you know, it's in my hometown or um, mm -hmm. like we, we knew friends who went there and they absolutely loved it. Um, and uh, like for Preston, the, the Cleveland International Film Festival was a very big deal because he went to Case Western uh, for college in Cleveland and he had uh, entered all of his films there and hadn't gotten one in yet and we finally did with this one so that was like a big victory yeah. and that's an amazing festival. That was really awesome. Yeah, that's, it's, it is remarkable how for a city of that size what a festival they have. Awesome. Perfect. Um, so, uh, the thing I was thinking about at the moment uh, with the film, I mean, I was looking for it myself on iTunes and stuff and haven't found it yet. So, I'm assuming um, there's no distribution news yet, but is there anything in the pipeline? Uh, yes. So, once we learned that we were into Fright Fest, we uh, sought out a sales agent. So, uh, to help us to find a distributor for the film. Um, and the reason that we waited is because before we were into Fright Fest, we were just Joe Schmoes who had a movie, you know, and we knew that we could obtain a sales agent if we were just Joe Schmoes with a movie, but we wanted to obtain the best sales agent possible and we wanted to wait until we had our world premiere lined up. Uh, and the Fright Fest auspice, the Fright Fest auspice gave us the opportunity to knock on a few doors and say, hey, we have this brand new film that's world premiering at Fright Fest. And uh, literally one of the first doors that we knocked on was Jenga Films um, because they're known for uh, taking on and doing a great job with uh, smaller genre films. 
uh, specifically a film that we really respected from a few years ago, girl ago called Last Girl Standing, uh, was represented by Jenga Films. And uh, so we were like, yeah, you know, that's sort of the home that we want to have. So we we uh, were fortunate that Jenga took us on and have now been taking us to to uh, distributors because as you know as with everything it's about who you know and the relationships and we don't know distributors yeah. that's the sales agent's job is to know, is to know the distributors um, and uh, we Jenga has done a great job we do have distribution. Uh, forthcoming to announce for us and uk um we are not able to announce it yet we are very hopeful that it will be very soon that we can cool i'll be looking at your twitter feeds <laughs> i'm hoping uh so uh yeah one thing i hear a lot is um if you don't have any big marquee actors in the film it's really difficult to sell a film to a, a festival or get distribution for it um so i mean obviously you guys don't have any massive massive name um, in terms of actors. So did that uh, restrict you in any way? Uh, honestly, it did. Um, I think that we, there, given that we aren't names ourselves, nor do we have relationships with big distributors or festivals, nor do we have the name talent. So sort of that combination of things there, there was a ceiling that that we experienced because of that. Um, that if we had had any one of those things, I think the ceiling could have been a little bit higher if we had had a name or if we had had a connection to to one of those top level festivals. I, I think we would have this. Yeah, the ceiling would have been higher. Um, uh, and that's that's a little frustrating to know that. Um, but you know, when you look at what the, the thing is that every festival in the world needs to make a profit to continue operating. And to help them make a profit, they need to be able to fill their theaters. And it's just so much easier to fill a theater when the people who are buying tickets are familiar with the talent or the filmmakers already. Um, and that that's just, that's just the reality of of this business. And so we were fighting an uphill battle of being unknown. Everything is unknown that, you know, this is not, this is not a Marvel movie that has a built in fan base. It's not a, it's not a re horror remake that has a built in fan base. So, so you have to, you're asking way more of a festival to take you on because you know, it, Fright Fest took on introducing us to the world and that's, they have to, they have to really believe in you when you know a festival has to really believe in you when they're when they're doing that and um, we were so lucky that they that they took us on um, but it's not something I think that that um, the absolute biggest festivals in the world would have taken us on with so many unknowns. But I will say that for having all of these unknowns, like we I think we've done as well as as we possibly could. We've had like an amazing journey through the festival circuit. It's been crazy. The, uh, the, the reaction from people has been wonderful. We've met so many great people. Um, and you know, we have, we have a distributor that we're very, very happy about. Um, and so I, I mean, I think it's just gone 
as well as, Ab- as absolutely. it exceeded a lot of our expectations. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Fright Fest was absolutely one of the greatest, but also Scream Fest here in Los Angeles. Uh, Rachel does a fantastic job, and that, that is a great festival. Um, Austin Film Festival was wonderful. Uh, and then even many of the smaller ones, like Nightmares Film Festival in Columbus. Um, Women in Horror in Atlanta is yeah, great. Yeah, and uh, so many. Philadelphia Unnamed was a great experience. Uh, Madeline Kester does a great job with that. Yeah, just, yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome experiences. And it's, it's a bit of a shame about the actor thing because for me, I personally, I mean, I'm not by everyone else, but I personally enjoy a horror film more when I don't know who the actors are. Yeah. Uh, as soon yeah. as I see an actor, it just kind of throws me off a little bit. Uh, but obviously, yeah. not yeah. always, but generally. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Anyway, so, and, yeah. You know, not but not even at, at just our level, but even at the big studio level, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, some recent examples of successful films. When you compare, like, Get Out, which was a huge success, but took a little bit of time to grow, versus A Quiet Place, which had a huge opening weekend, I I think that, you know, part of that is due to being able to put Emily Blunt, who is a huge movie star, on on their poster for A Quiet Place, you know? And it you don't have to grow that through word of mouth because you already have Emily Blunt on, on the poster. And they're both great movies, but Get Out took more time for it to grow. It was word of mouth because, pretty much, wasn't it? With yeah, get, with yeah. Get Out. yeah. We didn't know, you know, we didn't know those, those actors as well as we, we know Emily Blunt. Um, so what's um, next for you guys um, after Ruin Me? I mean, I know you're still in the midst of distribution and stuff, but have you got any plans? Yes, uh, we are already writing our next film. It's called After the Summer. It's going to be another horror movie. Um, and I'll let Preston do the uh, log line here. Yeah, so uh, it, it's about a 21-year-old uh, woman who is uh, between her junior and senior year of college. And she's from uh, an affluent family who have uh, a house on Lake Michigan where she spent every summer growing up. And uh, she, we find her coming to uh, visit between uh, right before her senior year of college is set to begin. Uh, but she's uh, disillusioned with, with her family and the path that they see for her in, in her life. Uh, meanwhile, um, she uh, has a childhood friend who she's known uh, uh, from visiting in the, in the summers who uh, goes missing. And so she decides to uh, lie to her parents and instead of go back to college for her senior year, she stays in this town after the summer to investigate the disappearance of her friend. Sounds awesome. I look yeah. Forward, I look forward to that. Um, yeah. So I've got three quick fire questions. Uh, before I let you guys go. Um, the first one is, if you had to give one piece of advice to upcoming filmmakers, what would that be? Wow. Oh, no. Single piece um. of advice. Um, I would say to uh, set get, get the train moving. So I think that what allowed us to really get this done was we said we the five of us looked at our calendars, looked at what the weather was like in Michigan, and we said, these are our shooting dates. And we did that in 
probably January of 2015 for a September shoot. Maybe even earlier than that. Maybe even December or November of 2014. We said, these are our shooting dates. And what that allows you to do is you now have a moving train. And so when you are casting actors, it's, it's not like, oh, this is a thing that might happen at some point. It's these are the shooting dates. When you're going to investors, it's not an amorphous thing like, oh, if we get the money, it's going to happen. We said, this is when we're shooting. And no matter how much we had raised, we were going to make it work for those days. So that, that for me was super helpful. Um, and I would say um, there are so many reasons that other people are going to give you about why you should not go and make a movie. Uh, but if you really feel like this is the thing that you were meant to do and this is something that you have to do, uh, then just go and do it. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Sound advice. Um, so maybe you can tell us your three favorite horror films of all time. Oh, three. Okay, uh -oh. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I will say uh, The Exorcist, uh, Psycho, and the Friday the 13th Saga are probably my three favorite of all time. Okay, so this is going to be really funny, but I actually have this list on my phone called Favorite Horror Movies, in case <laughs> anyone ever asks me this and I like go blank. So my number one favorite of all time is Dead Ringers. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just list all of these off here. Shaun of the Dead, Session 9, Very good. The Strangers, Orphan, The Ring, Scream, American Psycho, Saw 3, Hostel 2, The Original Cabin Fever, Jaws, and The Descent. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good list. I'm sorry, Preston. Trista just uh, trounced you there. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. okay. I'll, I'll Session just... 9. I mean, how amazing is that? I love that yeah, film. I, I love that one. I've seen it like three or four times. It's awesome. Um, also, uh, Creep 2, which I saw recently. Same. I watched that recently. It's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, with, but with uh, Preston's choice, um, honestly, man, I I don't get the Friday the Thirteenth love. Yeah, <laughs> it's a cheap Halloween ripoff. <laughs> yeah, you know, I th I think it was because I you know I discovered it at such a young age, and it just wa watching them over and over again, it became like legendary and mythological to me. Um, wow. And I, you know, I, I feel like if I were to watch, you know, if I came into them blank today, I, I don't know that I would have that love for them. But it's just that one that that came to me at the right age that I just I just love it. Yeah, I, I think age it. has something to do with it because I watched those a bit late. I mean, I watched a lot of horror films when I was young. Uh, Friday the 13th always kind of uh, missed my radar. So I watched them when I was a bit older <laughs> and I was like, the fuck is this shit? <laughs> and, anyway, um uh, the final thing I want to ask you guys, um, if people wanted to follow you on social media or anything like that, on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, um, maybe you can just tell us how they can do that and I'll put that stuff in the show notes. Yeah, I'm at Preston D-E-F, uh, P-R-E-S-T-O-N-D-E-F. And I am at Tricks or Treat, T-R-Y-X or Treat. Um, and uh, the movie on Facebook is Ruin Me Movie 2017. And on Twitter, it's at Ruin Me Movie. Uh, we also have an Instagram account that I just started, and I don't think there's anything on it yet, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's also at Ruin Me Movie. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, guys, for coming on the show. I really, really this appreciate so it. Fun.
You're welcome. I really enjoyed that chat. I hope it's helpful to you. I hope it's helpful to your listeners. And thank you for asking us. Yeah, thank you. So that was my chat with Preston and Trista. I hope you enjoyed it. I think they shared a lot of valuable knowledge and I really enjoyed uh, chatting with the both of them. Um, so my recommendations for today, um, the short film is The Birch by Ben Franklin and Anthony Melton. Um, I saw it on the Crypt TV channel on YouTube and it's about a guy, um, a boy, and he's getting bullied and this tree monster kind of uh, appears to help him out. That's pretty much all there is to the story, but the monster um, design looked awesome, something that could have come straight out of a Hollywood film. So go check that out. And the feature I'm recommending is called Last Shift by Anthony de Blasi, I think that's how you say his name. Um, and it's about a rookie cop who's uh, minding a police precinct on its final day while all the other cops are uh, moving to another precinct across town. And um, as she's doing that, a lot of creepy stuff starts going on. I don't want to uh, delve too much into the plot. It's one of those ones where the more you watch and start to guess what's going on, the more fun you're going to have. So check that out. And that's it for today. I'll see you next time.